die. Sign and die. That's not how you say it. That's how they say it in Georgia, apparently. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Which I'll take today. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Good news out of Georgia. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. How often does that happen? And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. You know what? Let me save my voice. You do it. <laughs> this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast. On Queso, Cottage Grove, WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLPP in Palinville, New York, WPRR in Grand Rapids, Michigan, New Orleans, WHIV, KNIZ in Gallup, Gallup New Mexico. See, not so easy, is it? <laughs> it's not. Uh, Concord, New Hampshire's w- WNHN, uh-huh. KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, KODX in Seattle, Washington, KFO in Red Blood Ref and Redding, California. That's KFOI. KFOI. Sorry, KFOI. Sorry, Redding. First time working on this show? (laughs) Round Mountain, California's Uh KKRN. And of course, AM 950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and coast to coast and around the globe on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Hi, Nicole. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Wow, this is hard. Why don't yeah, you I know. You took longer than me. Well done. Uh, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly <laughs> investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, trying to save my voice here as I'm uh, still wrestling this cold. That, of course, was uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, also. <laughs> from bradblog.com thank you very much desiree i appreciate that uh, you're welcome as best i could do well if that's the best you could do we're in trouble <laughs> anyway uh yesterday you i had mentioned uh, that i had this cold that i'm wrestling with it and uh, you said who is winning and i said well so far i am i think the cold might be winning today i'm sorry to hear that thank you very much uh so we'll keep that in mind and that's why i wanted you to do the opening thank you very much save my voice but uh, speaking of winning, how do they say it down there in Georgia? Uh, sign a die? Sign a die. Sign a die. Uh, actually, the way uh, that's a Latin phrase, I think it's actually pronounced uh, sine dea. But or, down actually, in, yeah. according to my uh, yeah. Latin teacher, it was yeah. sine die. Oh, is that what it but is? That, you know, you had a Latin teacher? I did. Oh, I'm impressed. So, uh, so what does sine dia mean? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, not a very good teacher. Uh, <laughs> apparently what it means is uh, it's a reference to, uh, I had to look it up too, uh, to uh, business or proceedings that have been adjourned. So uh, the the session has been adjourned. So no matter how you say it, in, in any case, I'm certain it's not sign a die, but that's how they do say it in the, uh, in the great state of Georgia where the, the, the General Assembly ended its... Session on Thursday night at midnight uh, with some big news. Speaking of winning, 
It was a big night, a very big night, and a a big win for voters in the great state of Georgia and really all across the country on Thursday night and uh, early Friday morning as as the Georgia State Legislative Session came to a close for the year with a very important election reform bill, a bad one, being defeated at the last minute. And frankly, at what seemed just a few days ago to be against very long odds that this thing would be killed. Mark Neas at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports it this way. Uh, This was his story just after midnight, after the end of the General Assembly's session. He reports a proposal to replace Georgia's electronic voting machines failed to pass the state legislature on Thursday amid deep disagreements over how to safeguard elections. The measure, Senate Bill 403, died at midnight, the end of this year's legislative session. The House had approved an amended version of the bill earlier Thursday, but the Senate rejected those changes. Georgia, they note, is one of the last five states in the country to rely entirely on electronic voting machines that don't leave an independent paper backup. While many legislators wanted to replace Georgia's hackable electronic voting machines with a system that uses paper ballots, they couldn't agree on how to do so. And by the way, that's the Atlanta Journal-Constitution correctly calling the machines in Georgia hackable. That's not me, not not just me for, for a pleasant change, but the actual newspaper only took 15 years to get there. But I digress. Several election integrity groups pressured lawmakers to reject the legislation because it allowed the possibility of voting machines that mark ballots with barcodes for computer tabulation. They said the uh, barcodes would have left the state's elections vulnerable. And uh, to be clear, it would have not only left them vulnerable, it would have left them as 100 percent unverifiable as elections currently are already in the state of Georgia, where they've been forcing voters to use easily hacked, oft-failed, 100% unverifiable, debold touchscreen voting machines across the entire state since 2002. The election integrity experts, as reported by the uh, AJC here, preferred a voting system in which voters make their choices by filling in bubbles on paper ballots, you know, hand-marked paper ballots, saying uh, that reducing the influence of technology would help secure elections. But lawmakers supporting the bill said they didn't want to limit the state's options as it evaluated a new voting system. The new voting system that they had been evaluated or had been evaluating, as supported by the outgoing Secretary of State Brian Kemp, Uh, He's running for governor despite having overseen multiple failures and breaches of the voting system in Georgia. The system they were looking at was one being promoted by the nation's largest private voting system vendor, ESNS, which just so happens to have a barcoded ballot marking device or BMD ready to go to sell to the state since they took over Georgia's contract with the now defunct Diebold Election Systems, Inc., Separately, by the way, the paper reports in additional good news for Georgia voters that lawmakers also did not pass a separate bill that would have curtailed voting hours. That measure, Senate Bill 363, would have restricted early voting to only one Sunday before an election and forced polls in the city of Atlanta 
uh, to close an hour earlier, thus taking a uh, out a chunk of voting hours in the busiest precincts, which would have had an enormous effect on minority voting in the city of Atlanta pretty much as the Republican sponsors of that bill had hoped. But that one went down as well. But I think the biggest surprise, really, for election integrity advocates was this stunning failure of SB 403, the bill that would have brought deceptively described paper ballots to the state, even though those ballots were compute, would be computer-marked with non-human readable and therefore non-verifiable barcodes printed on them which are then used by computer optical scanners to tally results instead of the human-readable selections of the voters that the computer uh, also prints out on those paper ballots. Of course, with computer-printed ballots, it's impossible to know if even the human-readable part was accurately verified by the voter to reflect the voter's intent after an election. So the failure of SB 403... To pass the uh, Georgia General Assembly on Thursday night, frankly, was a stunning turnaround from just days ago. Back when we spoke with election integrity advocate Marilyn Marks, who was working to oppose the measure as its uh, passage nonetheless seemed all but certain at the time that we talked to her. Incredibly, thanks to her efforts and those of many others who rallied uh, both on social media and on the ground at the Capitol in Atlanta this week, SB 403 was defeated, and uh, frankly, I got to tell you today, I'm both stunned and delighted. Here to help us understand what happened on Thursday night and Friday morning and where the battle for verifiable voting in Georgia goes now, as well as where barcoded BMD ballots are going around the rest of the country, is once again Marilyn Marks. She's the longtime expert in uh, election integrity issues. She's uh, been a fighter for free and fair elections as the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance. In 2009, she was a Republican candidate who had a narrow loss in uh, running for the mayor of Aspen, Colorado. She discovered the vulnerabilities in that state's election systems firsthand and thereafter began devoting herself full time to election integrity litigation and lobbying efforts to make elections more transparent and, yes, verifiable. Marilyn Marks, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. You I, say you're stunned. I, you're I, delighted. I am. I, I think congratulations are in order. This was a real nail-biter up to the well, last minute. Yes, but I was going to add that you should be also proud because you're, you're one of the parents of this thing, this victory. You were able to get your nationwide set of followers, listeners, to tweet in and write in and call in to those legislators. And I tell you, they were overwhelmed. And so it is because of the hundreds of people that called, wrote, mm-hmm. tweeted um, at your request that, I mean, that had a big impact. So don't forget that. Well, you're, you're very kind to say so. I, I know that uh, you and, uh, and, and others, including uh, Jennifer Cohn, were just mm-hmm. absolutely tireless on this thing uh, over the past several days and really several weeks. So uh, what happened? This thing looked like it was going to pass, Marilyn, uh, just when we spoke <laughs> last. Why didn't it pass on Thursday night? <laughs> 
if you had called me last night at 11.45, <laughs> yeah. I would have told you it looks like it's going to pass. Um, but it, there was just so much pushback from the citizens. As the citizens began to demand, wait a minute, we will not tolerate the idea mm-hmm. of having our ballots counted as uh, barcodes that mm-hmm. we can't read. Um, and to show you just how insidious the vendor um, influence is and the sponsors were working with the vendors to do this during the day yesterday and the day in the day before they told us look it you've put enough pressure on let's see this would have been what Wednesday they mm-hmm. told us you put enough pressure on okay 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 we're making the change you're going to be happy with this it was going to just be a study committee and we thought, great, if it's going to be just a study committee, that's, that's fine. You mean instead of, of um, and, actually officially right. moving to these new systems, they said, let's uh, make a committee and study it. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and that's what they said that they would do. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't relax. We kept on relentlessly um, doing that, um, going after them. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing that happens is yesterday, uh, sometime during, during the morning, mm-hmm. um, they actually came out and said and then tweeted out, yes, we have now made amendments that we are going to send to the House floor to have this just be merely a study commission. Sounds good. It, Sounds fine. That's that's no problem. We okay. want them to study this. We right. did not want them to put anything into law. Mm-hmm. However, we got the wording of this amendment, and it turned out to be a Trojan horsebred. And what I mean by that is that, yeah, they had words in there for the study commission, but they had taken out almost all restrictions on the ballot marking devices, the, bar, the ballot barcoding, mm-hmm. and instead taken off all the restrictions but left in all the permissiveness to let these machines be purchased now. So Here's they, what I think happened. Excuse me, go ahead. It, well, no, I was going to say, so they added, uh, they said, yes, we'll study it, but at the same time they said, and yes, by the way, we'll go ahead and, and uh-huh. buy these if and, we want to? Well, yes, they said we'll, we, they're now permitted in law. Okay. They didn't say anything about buying them, Right. but, but here's what I believe happened. Yeah. They saw that $10 million that Georgia would get under HAVA coming from, coming from the government, mm-hmm. and they said, oh, the vendor probably said, oh, let's at least get a toehold in Georgia. So in addition to the study commission that was in the bill, they went ahead and permitted barcodes and uh, ballot marking devi- electronic ballot mm-hmm. marking devices. And I believe that they had every intention of turning around and buying some of these immediately, long mm. before they had the ability to do it statewide. Uh, well, of course, so they just basically lied to the voters. And then last night at 1030, um, the sponsors got on the floor of the House and said to their members, mm-hmm. pres- I guess presuming that they wouldn't read the copy of the bill, right. look, this bill does nothing more than just pave the way for paper ballots in the future and have a study commission. And, you know, and this is what's maddening about it, because this is how they're selling these ballot marking devices, these BMDs. They're saying, hey, this is paper ballots. This is what you guys want, right? And we talked uh, last time uh, we spoke with you, and we also spoke with uh, Jenny Cohn, who, who wrote about this at uh, Bradblog to try to explain 
this deception when they're talking about paper ballots, but what they're really saying is computer-marked paper ballots with these uh, barcodes that can't be read by humans, or even if they are human-readable text, we can't know if the if they actually reflect the voter intent. It's rather insidious what they're trying to do. And, you know, speaking of insidious, uh, Marilyn Marks, uh, this uh, Republican state representative, uh, Buzz Brockway, uh, yes. he is the, he's a candidate now, Republican candidate for Georgia's Secretary of State. I now yes. call him Barcode Buzz. <laughs> Uh, he, he seemed to be uh, open to the concerns of folks like yourself on Twitter as this was moving forward, but then he seemed to mislead at the last minute about the changes that had been made to this bill, suggesting that, oh, it's only a study committee. But that, that didn't is, seem to be the case. That is exactly what he said. He said, um, I approved an amendment today for a replacement bill. It's for this to be a study committee. Mm -hmm. And then when I started challenging him on that, he assumed, since I'm in North Carolina and they're in Atlanta, he assumed that I wasn't going to call him on it because I couldn't see a copy of the bill. Uh -huh. And um, people were texting me photographs of the bill language, and it didn't take long to figure out exactly what was going on, that, in fact, they were going to still permit the barcode um, ballot as the official ballot to come into the election code. Because, as you know, Brad, once it gets in the election code, yep. it's hard to take out. Oh, yeah. Georgia, Georgia still has, believe it or not, permission to use the old lever machines still in the election code. Well, That's my point about yeah. when you get it in there, you can't get it out. Yeah, and it would be better if we were using the old lever machines, frankly, at this point. I mean, you know, it, it is amazing because uh, once you get it in the code, you're right, it never comes out. And frankly, once bills like this are proposed, they almost always pass. I mean, these sorts of bills are never stopped. This is a huge victory for election integrity advocates and, and frankly, mostly for voters in the state of Georgia, but also around the country, which I'll want to ask you about in a second. But will will Georgia voters, should Georgia voters remember the way that uh, barcode Buzz Brockway seemed to be, uh, frankly, selling them out in favor of uh, these voting machine companies when they go to cast their vote now for Secretary of State this year? Well, that is sort of what I'm saying, not particularly aimed at um, uh, Representative Brockway only. Um, there are a number of candidates mm -hmm. who are running for Secretary of State. Several of them are in the legislature, and I think both in the primaries and the general. This should be one of the issues that absolutely becomes the key campaign issue that that uh, they should ask about, the voters should ask mm -hmm. about, extract promises for them from them now, you know, extract explanations because um, uh, Senator McCune, who is another one of the Secretary of State candidates, mm -hmm. he helped this thing get out of committee and he voted for it in the Senate, in in when it was in its original version. So I don't think any of them have clean hands here. And that was, uh, and both McEwen uh, and B Barcode Buzz are <laughs> are the uh, they're both Republicans running in the primary for Secretary of State, right? Correct. And I believe there is a Libertarian running 
Um, he may actually be in the legislature as well. I need to check that. I'm not 100 percent sure. All right, we that. won't we won't tar him yet with okay, having okay. voted for this one. Uh, <laughs> right. And the Democrat is there a, a Democratic uh, candidate for Secretary um, of State? There are a couple of Democratic candidates, okay. I believe, and I have not heard a peep from them about. Um, why this is a bad bill. Well, hopefully it's good that they didn't at least vote for it, uh, right. but the fact that they're not standing up and demanding hand-marked paper ballots in a state like Georgia, which has had those goddamn unverifiable Diebold touchscreens for 15 years now, I, I don't understand. So hopefully the Democrats at least try to step up. Uh, one small problem here, obviously, Marilyn, is that this bill did not pass, which means, for now, Georgia is still stuck with those 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Uh, so, Not so for now long, what? Brad. Wh Not for long. Why? Well, um, as you know, I um, am the executive director of Coalition for Good Governance, mm -hmm. and that organization, uh, literally today, um, our lawsuit reactivates in federal court, and we are suing the Secretary of State to decommission all of the DRE machines and to use paper ballots in the upcoming November election. If, if We feel really good about it. Well, I, you know, if you had said that a few days ago, I would have doubted you. But after this uh, victory on SB 403, mm -hmm. maybe I shouldn't. But that said, if they decommission these uh, DREs, these direct recording electronic uh, touchscreen machines, and they haven't passed a bill to pay for new systems, well, what then? Well, um, we've got paper ballots. We, Georgia's got paper ballots. They have optical scan machines. They use them for their mail-in ballots. And so those and, could be used um, at the precinct as well? Absolutely. Certainly they could. They may need a few more optical scanners, but the things are a dime a dozen these days, the used ones. Mm -hmm. And they can certainly get them through the next few years until they can get a decent voting system in. And certainly an audit trail will be created by hand-marked paper ballots. So um, we think that um, the judge will let us have a hearing in the summer on this in plenty of time to convert the precincts to paper ballots in the fall. Well, And um, it will be very low cost. They already own the equipment. They can get, get more scanners if they want them. They don't have to have them, you know, on short notice and with a short, um, uh, with a very, very small budget as well. They know how to use the equipment. They've got the software and why not use what they have that does create an auditable paper ballot? Trade? God forbid they should do the simplest, easiest, uh, most overseeable uh, thing <laughs> after and all of these years. The most physically, yeah. physically conservative thing. Uh, uh, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, will the will the loss uh, and like I said, I've learned not to doubt you now, uh, Marilyn. So, will the will the, will this loss uh, on Thursday night in Georgia uh, have any effect, as you see it, on raising awareness, concerns about the dangers of these barcoded systems and and keep them from taking over? It's not just Georgia; they are moving into Texas and Tennessee, and yes, out here in Los Angeles County, which I'm very embarrassed about. Our registrar registrar is is planning to go to a similar system of touchscreen computers that print out barcoded ballots actually qr coded ballots in in our case out here but what what effect will this uh, loss for now in georgia have on the rest of the country as you see it marilyn well i think that um there are now thanks to you and others like uh, jenny cohen 
um, there, the national awareness has been raised. And certainly now people are, are going to start watching what their local election officials do, Brad, particularly with $380 million just about to hit the states who can now buy new equipment. This is from I, the uh, from the, the the spending bill that the federal government just passed. Yes, right. yes, and they've ju- and they've just added three hundred eighty million to the HAVA funds mm. for new election equipment. You know that this is going to be a temptation to those vendors, and it's going to be up to the people to step up the the, the American public and say no. We demand hand marked paper ballots. Don't fall for the paper ballot scam. Uh, Marilyn, I got, uh, you know, when, when, when they say paper ballots, but they don't, the devil is in the details here. Marilyn, I got to say, uh, I think this is the first time I've seen in an election integrity uh, fight like this that I've seen it be, be won, thanks uh, in no small part to the tireless advocacy on social media from mm-hmm. folks like you and Jenny Cohn. Uh, y- y'all work nonstop on this. And, you know, I'd sometimes hear from Jenny, uh, who lives out here on the West Coast, I'd hear from her at like midnight over the past few days on something or other. And then I would drop you a message to ask you about it. Uh, thinking I'd hear back the next morning, and I would be stunned that you were up at 3 a.m. Uh, on the East Coast still working on this. And it was nonstop, and believe it or not, the people on the ground in Georgia were answering at 3 a.m. as well. And, Brett, I think this was a combination of social media, you know, new ways of communicating, but also the old-fashioned way of getting right in front of the the lawmakers because mm-hmm. what was happening on the ground and it was a group of women mm-hmm. quite frankly yeah. there were very few men involved in this yeah. the group of women who would take remember the letter that you encouraged your listeners to send to to mm-hmm. for to for their signatures so we had a group of women going door to door to see every lawmaker talking to them about the letter saying look at this letter look at the number of people who sent let me talk to you about the contents it is amazing the reaction that they got from lawmakers who read that letter, who carried it with them to meetings. And so it was a combination of the face-to-face effort, but also because they were being tweeted at and called yeah. and faxed. And so I think that it's we didn't do it perfectly by any stretch, but as a first effort, I think we've maybe learned some lessons that hopefully others can learn from as well when, it's not an if, but when the barcode balloting comes to them. And they better be watching carefully yep. because this money is about to start flowing from the federal government like now. Mm. I mean, literally yep. now. Yep. And you know exactly what the vendors are going to do. So uh, make noise, raise hell, pay attention, inform yourself, uh, follow Marilyn Marks on the Twitters. She is Marilyn R. Marks, the number one. Uh, I'd also recommend you uh, follow Jenny Cohn. I think she's Jenny Cohen, the number one, if I'm remembering uh, correctly. Just two of the women saving our democracy for all of us. Marilyn, uh, congratulations on this victory. Rest up for about an hour, and uh, then I know you're going to be back on uh, back on the job already. <laughs> we'll do it. Thank you so much, Brad, and um, take a bow for your part in this victory. We're all in this disaster together. Thanks, Marilyn. (laughs) Thanks, Neil. Bye-bye. All right. I'll uh, add one other uh, point, one other accomplishment 
for the Georgia State Legislature on uh, Thursday night. According to uh, Michael Owens, chairman of Cobb County Democrats and a Marine Corps veteran uh, on Twitter, uh, he notes that runaway Negro Creek in southeast Georgia exists no more. That, thanks to the Georgia House of Representatives, it shall now be called Freedom Creek. He adds, welcome to the year 2018, hashtag about damn time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I even looked up Runaway Negro Creek yeah. and a story about it noted its history as part of the Underground Railroad, but mm-hmm. also the article noted that Runaway Negro Creek is actually the less offensive term uh, that used to be used for about 100 years. Oh, brother. Yeah. I think I understand. All right, well, finally, Freedom Creek has come to Georgia Let's uh, only took 100 years or so. Uh, let's see how long it uh, takes to have overseeable, verifiable democ- democracy return to the state. All right. Anyway, there's some good news. I'll take it. Let's take a quick break and see if we can find any more today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yes, I know what song that is. It's uh, the actor and uh, former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, according to CNN Today, had open heart surgery, Desi Doyen. Oh, my. To replace an old valve. His first words after waking back up, says CNN, I'm Bach. <laughs> according to his uh, representative. Do you think that's really true? Do you really say I'm back? Actually, I wouldn't be surprised. You wouldn't put it past I bet, he, I bet he planned it and really thought ahead about this. So. You know, it is stunning, frankly. What a, so uh, glad to hear that. Glad to hear he's, he's back and he's <laughs> doing well. Uh, it is actually kind of stunning what a champion that he has become for the environment. Yes. Uh, Schwarzenegger. I mean, this is a guy who used to be, remember how proud he was of driving his Hummer? Around town? Around, yeah. yeah. So people can change. They certainly can. For the better. Uh, Arnold is is one example of that. Um, and uh, you had a story on your most recent uh, Green News report, Desi Doyen, about uh, the fact that, uh, sadly, though a majority of Americans are still concerned about climate science and, and global warming. Right. Since Trump has taken office, those numbers have gone down a yeah, bit among fallen. independents. I mean, it's it's overall, yes, overall, most Americans now accept the scientific consensus on uh, glim- on climate change that it's it's happening, it's human caused, and it's real. A, and a big big majority, a big majority, big majority. O- over sixty yeah. percent is very right. consistent now, which is great. But yeah, it has fallen about eight points overall. But uh, depending on if you're an independent or a Republican, not surprising for the Republicans, kind of surprising for the independence 
Yes, uh, only kind of surprising, because actually I've been thinking about that. You know what? I think there are more people. These are self-identified independents. I think there are more Republicans who are now calling themselves independents because of Donald Trump. Right. And uh, But they still have their leftover uh, anti-global anti-science. warming propaganda going yeah, on. They're yeah. still, they still have some tribalism on that science stuff left over. Well, if it's up to the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, now being run by Scott Pruitt, that uh, that majority will get uh, who believe in science will actually get smaller. A leaked memo reveals uh, this week that the EPA sent employees a list of talking points instructing them to cast doubt on the scientific consensus about climate change. The internal EPA memo, which was obtained by HuffPost, includes a set of eight approved talking points sent to EPA staffers by the agency's Office of Public Affairs. The talking points instruct employees to highlight scientific uncertainty and lack of evidence linking human activity to climate change, statements that are contradicted by the government, by the 2017 federal climate assessment, which just came out, right? Right. So the federal government already... Um, contradicts what the EPA is now trying to say, what Scott Pruitt's EPA is trying to say, or what they're telling their employees to say. Uh, Basically, the 2017 Federal Climate Assessment, which is a Big climate is a b- oh, bunch huge. of uh, yeah, uh, government agencies right, who ring in on this. Thirteen federal agencies, including federal science agencies. So this is a this is an, an a, a government wide report that comes out, and this is the real deal. These are all the scientists actually weighing, and it is not a political document. And what they say, what those actual scientists say, is that it is quote extremely likely that human activities, especially emissions of greenhouse gases, are the dominant cause of the observed warming since the mid-20th century. So that's what the already the federal government, even under uh, Donald Trump, has to say about this. But one of the talking points in the memo from the EPA to its staffers uh, questions whether fossil fuel emissions directly contribute to climate change, stating incorrectly that, quote, clear gaps remain, including our understanding of the role of human activity and what we can do about it. Which is, you know, not true. There are not clear gaps that remain. We actually know burning fossil fuels releases the CO2 into the atmosphere and that causes global warming. We know this. The uh, memo. Well, we we don't want you to know it, however. (laughs) They want to change that. That's why they have these talking points. It also cast doubt on the scientific consensus surrounding climate change, claiming that the, quote, degree and extent of human impact on climate change is, quote, subject to continuing debate and dialogue. (laughs) Which is... Who knows? Also not true. It's just, it's kind of astounding to me that the EPA is intentionally spreading misinformation about climate science to the the general public on the taxpayer's dime. It's not really astounding to you, is it? I guess not. I'm not really surprised, <laughs> but I am I am still, how about this, disgusted. Yes, well, there you go. It is kind of disgusting. In reality, uh, as uh, Carolyn Orr at ShareBlue points out, 97% of actively publishing climate scientists, when we're talking, this is, this is the continuing debate and dialogue, right? That the EPA wants to <clears throat> pretend. Wants you to believe, right. Uh, so 97% of actively publishing uh, climate scientists agree that warming trends observed over the past century, quote, are extremely likely due to human activities. 
And what about those 3%? Do they debate? Do they feel otherwise? Well, a research review that was published in November of 2016 found flaws, significant flaws in the methodologies and assumptions or analyses that were used by the the uh, the 3%, the 3%, <laughs> uh, the 3%ers, right? A 3% of scientists who concluded otherwise. So this leaked memo represents uh, an escalation of Scott Pruitt's war on science, according to Orr, indicating that uh, his anti-science views are about to become part of the official EPA communications. In effect, misinformation will be given the appearance of legitimacy with the stamp of a respected government agency, I should say, maybe a once respected government agency. Yeah, it's going to take a while to recover the EPA if we ever have an opportunity to do so. Uh, One of the things that they said in those talking points is, quote, human activity impacts are changing climate in some manner. And uh, retired Navy Admiral David Titley, who's a meteorologist, he said, that's like saying that the Germans were involved in World War II in some Some manner. Yeah. And another guy, actually, I thought this guy had the best, uh, taking that same theme, he had the best ideas, Twitter user Guy Fox. He said, by inserting pregnancy, by the way. Quote, intercourse has some effect on pregnancy. Some say a little, while many say none at all. The ability to measure with precision to the degree and extent of that effect and what to do about it are subject to continuing debate debate and and dialogue. dialogue. Exactly. (laughs) So that's what we're that's where we're at. That's That's where we're at uh, over the past 13 months. Scott Pruitt has taken at least 15 major actions, for example, on air pollution, all to delay, weaken or repeal protections, all opposed by the American Lung Association and other health groups. Those are just uh, 15 of some uh, 70 or 77 actions that he has taken now to try to either succeed to or to try to curb all sorts of regulations that are opposed by the groups who are affected, like, you know, the American Lung Association. Well, yeah, and, you know, and industrial polluters really, really, really don't want to have to pay to not pollute. They like polluting for free. It's cheap. They get more profits that way, except, of course, as we know, that means that the American public bears that pollution cost. It's like a tax, a pollution tax on the American people because, you know, people die from air pollution. The delivery of the talking points, according to Huffington Post, comes one week after Pruitt had announced plans to restrict the agency's use of science in writing environmental rules. Yes, he really did this. He's barring the use of research when writing these rules unless the raw data can be made public for other scientists and and the industries related industries here Mm -hmm. to scrutinize. Now, what that means is that uh, this would disqualify, apparently, huge amounts of public health research, which is conducted on the condition that the uh, the raw data itself is not released because the subject's personal information is included in that data. And they yeah. only participate based on the idea that the, their information, their personal information, their personal, will remain private. Yeah, their personal health care information will remain private and confidential. So, of course, David, um, so, of course, Scott Pruitt loves the idea that he can then say, oh, we're not going to use it if you can't access these people's personal confidential health information, which is going to knock out, as you said, 
a huge amount of public health data, like how people die from air pollution. But of course, the idea here is just to uh, to to shed a doubt of any type uh, right. to uh, on on the entire issue. Exactly. And so, and now and on the science, why won't they release the science if they're so certain about it? They must be. Uh, skewing the science, right? And that's, that's how he—that's how he and the EPA are lying about that. Now they're making it sound like there's some kind of nefarious intent behind this, but really, it's just keeping people's confidential health data confidential. But some good news here: uh, the American public, uh, particularly young people, are not buying it. Apparently, they are not buying the crap that the Trump administration is is dishing out. Is dishing out. <laughs> yeah, this is according uh, a new poll. Uh, a major from AP. A majority of young people believe that President Donald Trump is racist, dishonest, and quote mentally unfit for office. This according to a new survey that finds that the nation's youngest potential voters potential voters are more concerned about the Republicans' performance in the White House than even older Americans are. The poll from uh, the AP, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research and MTV found that just 33 percent of Americans between the ages of 15 and 34 and and, uh, the ages of 15 and 34 approve of Donald Trump's job performance. Just 33 percent. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, my God, 33 percent of young people actually approve of Donald Trump's job performance. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that's dangerous. That seems kind of high to me, but I guess uh, it's actually nine points lower than all uh, adults who were asked the same question on a, a separate survey uh, by the same group taken this month. The respondents they note all who all of whom will be old enough to vote when Trump seeks reelection in 2020 represent the most diverse generation in American history. They would occupy the largest share of the electorate if they vote at the same rate as older Americans. History, however, suggests they are also the least likely to vote this fall. In the 2014 midterm elections, for example, only about 20 percent of 18 to 29 year olds cast ballots. I'd like to think that will be changing this year. And uh, this survey suggests uh, as much that uh, it could very well change. Uh, Young people appear to be more engaged in politics now than they have been in decades. They find the survey finds nearly half of young Americans, that's 47 percent, say they're personally paying closer attention to politics since Donald Trump's election. So that's good news. Oh, that's excellent news. And, you know, hey, whoever you are, you can help a young person near you make sure that they are registered to vote, that they know how to vote, that they know what they are going to be required to show when they do go to vote, depending upon what state they're in. You can help. There are signs uh, that, uh, as I said, nearly half of young Americans are are now paying attention and uh, may be more interested in voting even in non-presidential years. There's widespread agreement among young people about Donald Trump. Seven in ten say he, quote, doesn't reflect my personal values. The new poll finds that 60 percent describe Trump as mentally unfit. 60% 60% described the president of the United States as mentally unfit among wow. this uh, group of young people. 62% call him, quote, generally dishonest. They get it. 63% say he is, quote, a racist. 63% says the president of the United States is a racist. 
that's actually good news. Not that he's a racist, but that the young people have bothered to notice. Yeah. Um, in a mid-February uh, poll from the same group, 57% of all adults in the U.S. said they believe Trump is racist. I should say just 57%, because uh, more young people realize that, in fact, yes, he is racist. The poll also found that young people overwhelmingly support watching out for minorities, 69%, for example, favor a pathway to legal status for immigrants brought to the country illegally as children. 69%, that's a huge number. 59% favor protecting the rights of LGBT citizens. And 58% say the same for Muslims. This is all good signs. Yeah. Good signs for the future. If not for the moment. Uh, even uh, th And these are interesting. 76% want the government to allow them to refinance student loan debt at lower rates. 76%. That's a huge number. Now, of course, these are the people who are most affected by the skyrocketing costs of going to colleges and universities. Um, but uh, here's something that uh, these uh, young folks should know. They should not only uh, fight for refinancing student loan debt. They should demand that the government simply forgive all of that public student loan debt. Just forgive it, period. We discussed on this show not long ago that it would actually cost about the same amount of money that now that we are currently paying for student grants and tax breaks, etc., for students to just wipe out all the student debt. It would be, in other words, for free. We could send everyone to school for free for uh, what we are already laying out. Now, the amount of forgiving all the student debt um, would be about uh, $1.4 trillion, but we gave more than that to corporations and to rich people uh, who, who don't need it, uh, who don't deserve it in the, uh, the recent GOP uh, Trump tax cut giveaways. So uh, why not give it to young people? Uh, who could use this money to, you know, buy cars and houses and actually improve the economy. Yeah, because participation in the economy is suppressed when all of their money ends up going instead to the student loan industry. Ask for more. Ask for more, people. You you might not get it all. You might get a little bit less, but ask for more. 60% want the government to take steps to address climate change. There you go, Des. Keep working on that. I know you You say only 60% only when 60? you hear that number. I know. 67% want a health care system in which the government provides health insurance to all Americans. I'll have a story on that in a moment. Uh, just under half, 46%, believe that abortion should be legal, quote, in most cases, with 26% opposed. So just under half. In other words, these are not, you know brainwashed lefty liberals the way that Fox News likes to paint young people the way they've gone after uh, they've gone on uh, gone on the attack against these kids from Parkland uh, Florida from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School which is just amazing and appalling that they would <laughs> that they're going after these kids who have survived a gun massacre but yeah they're doing it all across Fox News at this point Laura Ingram primetime uh, show there 
went out against David Hogg. Uh, David Hogg, one of the students at Parkland, uh, in turn said, fine, you want to come against me? I'll go against your advertisers. And she's already lost about a third of her advertisers yeah. in the bargain. Yeah, so. and he said, you know, it's not just me. You go against me, and you're actually going against all of us. You attack me, you're attacking all of us. And all the kids got together and said, this isn't right. And her advertisers agreed. One of the uh, uh, interesting, one of the last interesting points here from this poll: ask how they would advise Trump uh, on Twitter and his use of social media. Forty-nine percent said they would tell him to quote delete your account. Thirty-seven <laughs> percent said quote take it down a notch. Just thirteen percent of young people said. Keep doing what you're doing, Mr. President. All right, a quick break. I'll come back with uh, some information on that. Um, uh, some good news uh, for uh, health care and uh, opinions about health care. Yes, change takes time, uh, but I'd like to think we're moving in the right direction. Quick break. We'll be back with that and more after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Judge Stephen Reinhardt, a liberal stalwart on the uh, U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals for nearly four decades, died on Thursday in Southern California. He was 87 years old. Reinhardt died of a heart attack during a visit to a dermatologist in L.A., according to a court spokesman. Uh, Ninth Circuit Chief Judge Sidney Thomas said in a statement that Reinhardt will be remembered as one of the giants of the federal bench. He was appointed by President Jimmy Carter back in 1979. He was considered to be one of the most liberal judges on the Ninth Circuit, and his rulings often placed him on the side of immigrants and prisoners. He wrote a 2012 opinion striking down uh, California's gay marriage ban at the time. Remember that? Yeah, he's the one who wrote that opinion. He also wrote a 96 opinion that struck down a Washington state law that prohibited doctors from prescribing medication to help terminally ill patients die. Uh, Last year, he wrote in an opinion that a uh, Trump administration order to deport a man who had entered the country illegally nearly three decades ago and became a respected businessman in Hawaii, that uh, deporting that man was, quote, inhumane and contrary to the values of the country and its legal system. Hector uh, Viagra, executive director of the ACLU Foundation of Southern California, said that Reinhardt was, quote, brilliant, a great legal mind and writer. He was equally hardworking. Viagra, uh, who had clerked for him back in 95, said that he once found the judge in his chambers at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night writing a dissent to the court's decision not to rehear a death penalty appeal. 
Viagra said that he knew that it was totally pointless, uh, this this dissent, because, you know, the majority was against him. But there he was uh, at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, he, it was not going to affect the outcome of, uh, you know, this case at all. But he said that uh, he was there because and doing it because it was the right thing to do. And that's what mattered. Uh, University of California, Berkeley Law School dean, uh, Erwin Shemarinsky told the L.A. Times that Reinhardt was a giant, not just on the Ninth Circuit, but within the law, uh, and that he had a particular vision of the law based on enforcing the Constitution to protect people. He was among the federal judges who decided that overcrowding in California's prison system, for example, was unconstitutional. So, you know, Donald Trump has been itching to break up uh, the left-leaning Ninth Circuit Court as part of his own uh, war on the judiciary since we've been uh, talking about that, uh, the GOP's war on the courts in, in recent days. So there is no small amount of disturbing irony here that it will now fall to Donald Trump to replace one of the most liberal jurists on one of the most liberal circuit courts in the country. Just another reminder why, yes, elections matter. Yeah, they don't only matter for today, but they matter for tomorrow and decades from now. Uh, yeah, decades. Reinhardt served on the court since 1979. That's 39 years. Trump's appointee, whoever it's going to be, and it won't be blocked by the Senate because the filibuster has now been killed for judicial appointees. So Trump's appointee, whoever it is, you know, could spend, like Reinhardt, the next 40 years on the Ninth Circuit bending the law and the Constitution uh, to the far right. Yeah, and, and that so. part about him enforcing the Constitution to protect people, that is never more important than it is now as we try yep. to fight climate change and we try to protect these public health standards that are environmental standards that actually help people, you know, survive. He was 87 years old, by the way, so, you know, not uh, a shock that he died, but he, he was uh, thought to be in good health, and this was a sudden death, this heart attack, so it's not like he had been ill. So uh, very sad news for uh, for the courts and frankly, for the country. Uh, some slightly happier news as we uh, as we get out today. The Kaiser Family Foundation released their latest monthly tracking poll a few days ago, according to Charles Gaba over at uh, Daily Coast. He's known as Brain Rap over there, but he is a great advocate for uh, for health care reform. Uh, he says the last question jumped out to him the most. This was uh, uh, from the Kaiser Family Foundation looking at Medicare for all proposals, various type uh, types of single payer plans. Uh, the poll finds while many want Democrats in Congress to focus on improving the way that the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare is working rather than trying to pass a national health care plan. There is a lot of support for such a proposal. This month's Kaiser Health tracking poll finds that six in 10, almost 60 percent, favor a national health plan or a Medicare for all plan in which Americans would get their insurance from a single government plan. Sixty percent. So that's great news, writes Gaba. Fifty nine percent of the country now supports a mandatory Bernie Sanders, John Conyers style Medicare for all single payer program. However, 
This uh, survey goes on to find that support for such a proposal increases further still when it is framed as an option for anyone who wants it. Three-fourths of the public, three-fourths, favor a national Medicare for All plan that is open to anyone who wants it, but that would allow people who currently have other forms of coverage to keep the coverage that they already have. So uh, he says that is simply astonishing. Fully 75 percent of the public now support a plan along the lines of the uh, Center for American Progress's Medicare for uh, Medicare Extra for All proposal. Uh, that would be a way in which uh, Medicare is uh, slowly expanded to the entire public, but without forcing the approximately 155 million people who are on employees, employer sponsored uh, coverage to have to switch. Seventy five percent. These are huge numbers. It would be smart uh, if the Democrats started running on this sort of thing, whether yeah. it can be passed or not. Exactly. Yes, change takes time. But it does happen. Seventy five percent of the country now f- supports uh, a Medicare extra for all like plan. Yes, you're right. Change happens. It does take time and you have to talk about it the entire time in order for that change to come about. I had uh, speaking along those lines, I had uh, some uh, some listener mail here I wanted to get to on uh, on guns and the Second Amendment in the wake of Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens uh, penning that remarkable op ed in The New York Times calling on students rallying for gun reform to go still further and to demand a repeal to the Second Amendment entirely. Whether they'll get that or not is another question. I don't have time to uh, read his uh, his email now. I'll try to get to it later. But the idea is, you know what? As we saw in Georgia, uh, as we're seeing on on healthcare, as we're seeing on guns, go for it, people. Let the politicians do the compromising. You and I, and frankly, the courts. Uh, But you and I, the voters, we need to stand up for what is right, not necessarily for what is politically possible. Let the politicians uh, let them do that. All right. That's it. We got to get out. Uh, My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Marilyn Marks of Coalition for Good Governance for joining us with that good news out of Georgia as the fight for election integrity continues and uh, has a bit of a win for a change. I'll take it. My thanks also to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Find us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You and you alone keep us on your public airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 